He was a morbidly obese surgeon destined for an operating table and an early death. Now he's a rebel MD who is fabulously fit and fighting to make America healthy again. This is Stay Off My Operating Table with Dr. Philip Ovedia. Welcome back to the Stay Off My Operating Table podcast. I'm your host, Jack Heald, here with the star of the show, Dr. Philip Ovedia. Welcome, Dr. O. How are you today? Good, Jack. Great to be back again. Well, today, um, I'd like to talk about something that is near and dear to my heart, the USDA Food Pyramid. As I understand it, you have some, uh, some insight into the way of eating that the United States Department of Agriculture recommends is best for Americans. Can we talk about that? Sure thing. I think this is something that everyone in the audience will be familiar with. It has been first and foremost uh, in, the, in this country, in the United States, and unfortunately, it has now spread wo- worldwide. And I think uh, we have had uh, we have been influenced it now for over 30 years, and the results that have come out of it, I think, now speak for themselves. Well, let's talk about what those results are, and then, uh, or let's, you know, let's back up and talk about specifically um, what is the contents of the, of the food pyramid, the food guide from the USDA. Sure. Um, I- yeah, so I think, you know, it's important. Uh, I think most people are going to recognize, um, you know, the, the sort of original version of the USDA Food Pyramid, which was uh, released in the early 1990s and uh, persisted throughout the 2000s. And it's that very familiar picture of a pyramid. And at the base of that pyramid is a whole lot of bread and cereal and rice and pasta. And we were all told that we need to eat six to 11 servings of that a day. And then on top of that was the vegetable and fruit group. And we were told to eat uh, between five and nine servings of vegetables and fruit a day. And then we got up to the milk and the meat and the poultry and the yogurt and the cheese. uh, And they even threw nuts in there. Uh, and eggs, and they told us to eat about two to three servings a day of that. And then finally was the fats, the oils, and the sweets at the top of the pyramid, and we were cautioned to use sparingly. So what's good about the pyramid? Um, not a whole lot, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> so I think what's good about the pyramid, I think the only thing it got right was that sweets should be used sparingly. And I think uh, most people, uh, you know, when they uh, talk about nutrition and they think about what is healthy for us, uh, you know, the one thing that I think almost everyone agrees on is the less added sugar that you eat, the less sweets that you eat, uh, the better for your health. So everything else is not good. Everything else is wrong. Let's, let's drill down into it. Uh, yeah. we'll, take, we'll take from the top. Fats and oils, it also has in the use sparingly group. 
Right. True or false? Yes or no? And what should we what should we believe about this? So I think the big error that was made here is lumping all of the fats and oils together, because I think there are clearly fats and oils that are healthy and probably don't need to be restricted. Uh, And then there are fats and oils that are very unhealthy and probably should be used sparingly. And I think- So what are those? Yeah. So I think the the fats and oils that are healthy for us are the natural animal fats. So those are things that are, you know, either directly from the animal or produced by the animal. Uh, So that's your butter, that's your lard, that's your tallow, that's your duck fat. Uh, Those are probably the most common ones that people encounter. But, you know, almost any fat uh, from an animal uh, really is going to be, uh, you know, humans have been consuming those fats for literally our entire existence as humans, millions of years. And there really is very little evidence to suggest that those fats are dangerous for us. Um, well, okay, I want to I stop you there. There's very little evidence that those are dangerous for us? That's not my understanding. I, I guess I should reframe that and say there's very little good evidence that those things are dangerous for us. Uh, There has been a lot of evidence uh, that has either been uh, misinterpreted and or, quite frankly, falsified when we go through the history of how this pyramid came to be uh, that, um, you know, that tried to implicate animal-based fats, specifically what are called saturated fats, and relate those to poor health outcomes. Falsified data, you said? Yes. So uh, one of the early origins of the food pyramid was with a scientist uh, by the name of Ansel Keys. And Ansel Keys did the famous uh, seven country study, it was called. This was in the 1950s, where he uh, published a study that showed seven countries and their intake of saturated fat uh, related to their um, uh, incidence of heart disease, of cardiovascular disease. And on that graph, it looked like a pretty straight line that the more saturated fat you, a country consumed, uh, this was population you know, uh, studies, the more saturated fat that was consumed in a, in a country, the higher their incidence of cardiovascular disease. And that was really the seminal study uh, that was used to implicate saturated fat as uh, dangerous to humans. The problem is, is that it turns out that Ansel Keys actually had data from uh, about 22 countries, and he handpicked the seven countries that would line up nicely. But he ignored countries like France, that at the time had the highest consumption of saturated fat of any country that was studied, and it had the lowest incidence of heart disease of any country that was studied. Uh, and in fact, for many, many years, there was what was called the French paradox, uh, because we so believed that saturated fat caused heart disease that it was just unexplainable to the scientists of the day why the people in France who ate the most saturated fat had some of the lowest incidence of heart disease. That's interesting that you're I'm I'm looking at a, the USDA's food pier, food guide pyramid, and they they actually say right here on page two, page three, 
The pyramid focuses on fat because most American diets are too high in fat, especially saturated fat. So saturated fat, that's the animal fat? That's mostly the animal fat. Although, you know, this is another sort of uh, conundrum when one actually starts to look into these things. Uh, coconut oil, which is almost universally touted as a healthy fat to consume, actually has a higher percentage of saturated fat than most animal fats. Coconut oil is 94% saturated fat. And as you know, almost, you know, all these health authorities that, you know, all the, you know, many of the people who tell you to avoid eating animal fats will be the same people who tell you coconut fat is a, a healthy fat to consume. And yet it is higher in saturated fat than most animal fats. So is it healthy? Is it, does it pass the Dr. Ovedia uh, test for, for worthwhile oils to add to your food? Yes, I think coconut oil is a uh, healthy fat that can be incorporated as part of a healthy diet. All right, so that's the top of the pyramid. In the, at the bottom of the pyramid, it says we should be eating bread, cereal, rice, and pasta. Apparently, the bulk of our diet should be composed of uh, grain-based foods. Right. And that, I think, is a uh, big problem. You know, that, I think, is one of the major problems with the USDA uh, food pyramid. And I think it's one of the major reasons that 30-plus years after its introduction, we find ourselves with a society that has 88% of us being metabolically unhealthy. We talked about what that means, metabolically unhealthy, in another episode. I will refer our listeners to check out the list of podcasts for that. So, but I want, I want to focus on that statement you just made. You see a direct correlation between the, relate, the release of the food pyramid with the recommendation that, we, that the bulk of our diet be grain-based, foods from grains and the decrease in metabolic health in the American population. Is that correct? Yeah, when we look at, if you look at the graph of uh, obesity and diabetes, uh, type two diabetes in the United States, you can see that it has been a pretty steady increase uh, starting in the, uh, right around 1990, the, the late 1980s uh, up, up to today. And remember that the USDA food pyramid, um, you know, was not the first recommendations that came out of the USDA. Uh, you know, 1992 was when they made this nice graphic out of it. Uh, but the U.S. dietary guidelines uh, were originally, you know, introduced in the uh, 1980s, in the early 1980s. I remember being a, a, a college student, early 80s, and hearing about some sort of new guidance new dietary guidelines that said eggs were bad, butter was bad, margarine was good. I, I remember that very specifically. Um, is that what you're talking about? Yes. Yes, exactly. Okay. So um, without diving into the dirty, ugly details of uh, the bottom of the pyramid, let's talk about the middle of the pyramid, which talks about uh, for lack of a better word, dairy and, oh boy. So we've got dairy and, and meat, poultry, fish, eggs, beans, and nuts all in one group. 
Yeah. And then fruits and vegetables in a different group, which I guess makes sense. What, what's your thought? What is your, what's your wisdom uh, and your experience tell you about that part of the pyramid? Yeah. So I, again, I think, um, you know, combining fruits and vegetables together, um, you know, is not something that's necessarily, you know, science-based or, or really based on anything, you know, they, I guess they both, uh, grow, you know, uh, in the ground or, or, you know, below the ground or, or above the ground on trees. Um, but really, you know, fruits and vegetables are very different things. Um, and, um, you know, fruits, uh, especially modern day fruits are very high in, in sugar. Uh, and, you know, those are sort of natural sugars, although, you know, again, keep in mind that a lot of the fruits that we consume today uh, have been bred uh, specifically to make them, you know, more sugary. Uh, and they're larger and, uh, and they're available year round, which they weren't in the past. Uh, so those are some of the problems that come up with fruits, you know, as opposed to vegetables, which for the most part uh, tend to be lower in sugar. Uh, they still may have some carbohydrates, but they tend to be, you know, have higher fiber contents. And uh, putting those two together, I think, you know, might be a mistake as well. Because when you say that you, you know, need to eat five to nine servings of these things, um, you know, I think the balance between fruits and vegetables, uh, you know, can swing uh, wildly, you know, within those guidelines. And eating nine servings of fruit a day is probably not going to benefit anyone's metabolic health, ultimately. Well, you're being very um, uh, circumspect in, in how you describe that. If I were sitting in your office and I said, hey, doc, I, I, ate, I eat. Uh, you know, I follow the U.S. dietary guidelines for fruits every day. I'm eating an apple and a, a couple of cups of grapes and some strawberries and a couple of bananas. And what would you say? I would say you're eating too much sugar is what I would say. And but I you don't know, have sugar. I'm, I, you know, I avoid soft drinks. I don't put sugar on my cereal. Yeah, and you know that's exactly the problem is that people don't recognize that fruits are sugar, uh, and uh, you know bananas, for instance, are often put out there as as you know a healthy food for diabetics specifically to consume, and the reality is is that bananas are very high in sugars, and our body doesn't differentiate you know the the form that the sugar is coming in. It just ends up being sugar to our body. So I think eating that much fruit in a day for uh, you know people is uh, is problematic. So how do we think about uh, what's good for us and what's not good for us when it comes to vegetables and fruits? If you got a, a rule of uh, a rule of thumb that you can recommend? Yeah, I mean my general rule of thumb is that the you know, the high fiber vegetables, the, the green leafy vegetables are best to consume. And the vegetables that are kind of lower in fiber and maybe higher in sugar, things like tomatoes and carrots uh, are not so good to consume. And then I think the fruits for the most part need to be uh, taken in 
small, uh, you know, small quantities. Um, and the more metabolically unhealthier you are, sorry, that I'll say that better, the less metabolically healthy that you are, uh, the more cautious you need to be around all sugar-containing foods, uh, and that includes fruits. So if I read between the lines there, what you're saying is that increased sugar in your diet contributes to metabolic ill health? Yes, and actually the way that I frame it to people is once you are metabolically unhealthy, your body can no longer properly process excess sugar in the diet. Uh, so, you know, if you are one of the fortunate 12% of adults in the United States who are metabolically healthy and you're active and you have a good amount of muscle mass, uh, then you don't need to be as concerned about your sugar intake. But So uh, I want to, what's, what's a good amount of muscle mass? Um, you know, I would say if your, uh, body, uh, you know, your body fat percentage is, is, you know, for men under, uh, about, uh, 18% or so for women, maybe under 24, 25%, uh, so that you're mostly muscle and you're active and you're using that muscle a lot, uh, then you have a little bit more leeway in how much, you know, sugar is, is probably okay for you to consume. Um, but again, the vast majority of people in the United States, uh, the vast majority of people who come to me for help uh, as a heart surgeon or at a, as a metabolic health expert do not fall into that category. So I think if we're making guidelines that are supposed to help guide the majority of people in this country, which is what the USDA guidelines should be doing, we should not be telling them to eat so much sugar in the form of bread, cereal, rice, pasta, and fruit. Okay. Uh, you, when you say, you said we shouldn't be eating so much sugar in the form of bread, cereal, rice, pasta, and fruits. I don't typically think about those first four, bread, cereal, rice, and pasta, as being sugar. Yes, and that, that's another issue, um, you know, with the way that the guidelines were constructed and the food pyramid was constructed. Um, we did not make it clear that grains, especially highly processed grains, which is the vast majority of the bread, cereal, rice, and pasta that we consume, uh, is converted very rapidly to sugar by our bodies. And our body really does not recognize it as any different than eating sugar. So is that what, the, what, a, what causes the so-called carb crash? You eat a bunch of bread or pasta and half an hour after dinner, you can't keep your eyes open? Um, yeah, that's certainly part of it. You know, the, there's a rapid uh, rise in blood sugar when we eat these foods. And then as our body is trying to get rid of all that sugar, there tends to be a rapid fall in the sugar. And then, you know, that's when people tend to crash. And then oftentimes they'll go through a sort of a roller coaster ride over the next few hours over after they eat, uh, where their blood sugar is sort of swinging up and down as the body tries to deal with this, you know, big sugar load. Uh, and that what leads to, um, you know, 
uh, the tiredness, the irritability that a lot of people, uh, you know, uh, encounter. And then they find their own cells then being hungry very quickly again, despite having eaten, you know, a pretty good amount of food. My, my hope was that we would talk about, we'd, we'd finish on a happy note. Um, so we've, we've touched on the bread, rice, cereal, and pasta, which is at the bottom of the pyramid. And according to the United States Department of Agriculture, who's clearly looking out for our best interests, this should make up the bulk of our, of our meals. Um, and I don't think we, there's anybody's going to, well, there's very few who are going to argue that this is a bad idea. So let's talk about my favorite part of the pyramid, which uh, is close to the top. It contains cheese and meat and eggs. Let's talk about those because those are the, my favorite things to eat. <laughs> yeah, and I think, you know, the reality is, is that those should be, um, you know, the majority, uh, the base of most people's diet. Um, those are the foods that we as humans evolved eating. Um, you know, it, it's really, um, although some people do try to argue it, but it's really hard to argue that the vast majority of our existence as humans, uh, prior to about 10,000 years ago, we ate primarily animal products. And that's what allowed us to evolve as humans. And so, so if I think of this evolutionarily, 10,000 years ago is roughly when uh, um, archaeologists agree that, that agriculture started. And we began, we began raising, intentionally cultivating plants for the purpose of eating them. Fruits, vegetables, and grains. Is that right? That's about right, yep. So according to the USDA, what we should be eating are the foods that we have the least amount of time evolutionarily um, invested in learning how and knowing how to process with our bodies. And the ones we should avoid are the ones we've spent, I guess, depending on how old you consider the human species, several hundred to several, several hundred thousand to several million years processing. When yeah, you think about it that way, it's, it seems a little silly. Exactly. And, um, you know, that, that, that is the way that I think about it largely. Um, but even more so, you know, again, I look at the kind of evidence that's in front of us uh, that we have now been making these recommendations for, you know, 30 to 40 years, and our health has only continued to deteriorate. Um, and the, the rate of that deterioration continues to accelerate, it seems. Uh, so, you know, I, I, for those who aren't an old fart like me and can remember all this stuff, give us the, give us the data. You said our health is, is deteriorating. Yeah. What's so, changed? What, what was it like 40 years ago? I can, I can tell you stories because I was there, but I don't have the data. What, what, well, what's changed? Yeah, I think the best way to look at this uh, is, you know, again, I, I like simple concepts. I like pictures. And, you know, some of my favorite uh, kind of exercises, and, and admit this is stolen from various people on the Internet, is, you know, pull up a picture of Woodstock 
pull up a picture of people waiting online for the original Star Wars movie. Uh, and, and when you look at those pictures, you do not see obese people. And, um, you know, if you it, and you can even go back a little further, you know, there are now a bunch of, you know, kind of colorized films of people walking around New York City, you know, in the early days of photography, the 1920s, 1930s. And again, you do not see obese people. And when you look at the rates of obesity in the United States um, over the past, you know, go back 50, 60 years, however far you want to go back, uh, it's very clear that starting right around 1980 is when those rates start to rise very significantly. So is it a relatively flat um, graph prior to 1980, the percentage of people who are obese? Yeah, it's a pretty flat line prior to 1980. What There's was a, that percentage? Do you know? Um, I believe it was somewhere around the, the 4 to 5% range. 4 to 5%? Uh, 4 to 5%. Uh, so 4 uh, out of 100 people were, were technically obese. Yep. And today, yep. I think I read it's 38 out of 100 men and 40 out of 100 women. Exactly. It's about 40%. So we're talking about 10 times. It, it, it has gone up 10x uh, in the past 40 years. Uh, and, you know, prior to that, for 100 plus years that we've had data, you know, to track this type of stuff, it was pretty much a flat line. Uh, so it's a, pretty, it's a pretty stark graph to look at. Wow. Okay, so if you're under 40, uh, you don't realize that all the fat people you see, that it, didn't, it hasn't always been that way. Things have changed. All right, Dr. O, well, thanks for, uh, thanks for enlightening us there. Uh, I think we, we uh, need to learn a bit more about this, and maybe we'll talk about it in a future episode. For now, uh, this is the Stay Off My Operating Table podcast with Dr. Philip Ovedia. Be sure to press that subscribe button and you'll be notified every time we release a new episode. I'm your host, Jack Heald. We'll talk again next time. Chances are you wouldn't be listening to this podcast if you didn't need to change your life and get healthier. So take action right now. Book a call with Dr. Avadia's team. One small step in the right direction is all it takes to get started. Contact us at ifixhearts.com slash talk. That's ifixhearts.com slash talk.